This episode contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, June 16th, the I Want My Boobs Back edition. I'm Zach Rosen. I make the best advice show podcast. I live in Detroit with my family. My daughter Noah is four and my son Ami is one. My name is Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is nine, and we live in Los Angeles. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's 10, Oliver, who's eight, and Teddy, who's five. And we live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Today, we've got a tricky question about a toddler who is still learning to keep her hands to herself. Then on Slate Plus, in grandmom and dad tradition, we're visiting with a host parent. Up next on the hot seat is Elizabeth's father in honor of Father's Day. Here's a sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, each of them uh, reminds me of Elizabeth in a different way. It's like they've taken a little bit uh, different parts of uh, her personality. If you want a weekly bonus segment from us and your other Slate favorites, consider signing up for Slate Plus. You'll also get to listen ad-free and get unlimited access to the Slate website. To sign up now, go to slate.com slash plus. Again, that's slate.com slash plus. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to dive into some historical triumphs and fails. We're back. And with Father's Day approaching, we thought it might be fun to share some triumphs and fails of our parents from our childhood. Wow, this is rich. <laughs> Jamila, where are you going to go with this? Okay. So, when I was in the fifth grade, I had the amazingly fortunate opportunity to write, direct, and star in a play that my class, like, acted, like, members of my class acted it out for the rest of the fifth grade. Like, wow. It wasn't until I was an adult that I realized, like, what a really huge deal that was that, like, I was given such a privilege and I wish that I'd stuck with playwriting. And anyway, um, it was super dope. My fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Lewis, like, I guess I wrote the play and told her about it. And she was like, love it. Like, we can do this as a show. And anyway, so your teacher produced it. That's cool. So my teacher produced it and it was called My Life. And it was about this girl who was like kind of acting up in school and her parents were like frustrated with her. And so she like goes to sleep and she's visited at night by like her ancestors who are like, you know, one was maybe I don't know if I trace it all the way back to like slavery, but like I know that one of them was like a civil rights activist, you know, and like they'd lived through difficult times, right? And like yeah. were there to tell her basically, you know, as these figures typically do in these types of stories, <laughs> like, get your shit together. You're super privileged. Like, do you know how easy you have it? We marched so you could like go to school and like not try. Are you kidding me? And so they come to her and she has this revelation. And so I played the lead character. It was also amazing. I got to star in this show. Like, wow. this is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, there was a, a little sister character. And I noticed early in the show, because we had a script, but we did a lot, a bit of improving, um, that the audience really reacted to like me, you, you know, she and I arguing or like, you know, me mistreating her. And so <laughs> her laughs, I kept like, 
you know, messing with her and, you know, she's falling down all dramatic and it's super funny. And so at the end of the play, when the girl has the resolution, the lead character, you know, mm-hmm. that she's going to be better, she says something to her sister like, but I still don't have to respect you, you know, and of course the audience laughs there in fifth grade. But let me tell you who does not laugh. My father, who <laughs> for years... <laughs> Made me feel guilty about that. Would bring that up. Like, could what not. What would he say? He just was like, I was just so disappointed. It was just such a positive moment. And that was just so, you're going to tell your sister, I don't have to respect you. Like, he took stuff like that so seriously. Uh. Like, he didn't. So, like, I didn't get the approach. Like, my mom couldn't make it to the play because this is, like, real life in the 90s. And, yeah. like, <laughs> there's no, I wish there was a videotape of it, you know. But, like, my mom right. couldn't make it because she had to work. And so my dad came and like, you know, I should have been like showered with like how amazing and how incredible. And like, he totally weighed down get over with that like, one oh my gosh, uh. wow. So that's my childhood fail that I've carried with me. And I had not thought about it until we had to come up with a childhood fail. So I cannot wait to call my father today and make him feel bad because. Listen up, daddy. <laughs> You couldn't have just said good job. (laughs) You couldn't have just focused on what an amazing thing I had done. No wonder I didn't write any more plays or do anything like that until I was in college. Like, I could have been Susan Laurie Parks. I could be on Broadway right now. I could have been a very important playwright. And that little light was just womp womp. Thanks, Dad. Let us know what he says when you tell him that he's on the show this week in this way. I will. My parents... I'm going to call it a fail, but really comes from like a triumph that they had had every other time in that we spent most of our summers at like sleepaway summer camp, even from a young age. And the the thing my parents did really well was to always make sure that like they mailed letters to camp before we even left. Like we always had stuff coming. They did such a great job with that. But I went to this Girl Scout camp, and this was still pretty early in the in in my camping experience. I want to say I was like maybe six or seven, and I am a terrible speller. And I had gotten to camp, and I had forgotten my goggles. And I wrote this letter to my parents, and this camp was not that far, <laughs> and I was there for like two weeks. And I basically was like, "Please send my goggles. Like, can you please put my goggles in in an envelope, or drive the hour and drop them off because like swimming." in this pool without goggles is terrible. But I misspelled the word goggles. And I don't know if my parents were trying to teach me a lesson, but the (sighs) next letter that came was like, we can't find your Googles. We don't know what Googles are. And so I wrote back like, goggles, goggles. (laughs) Drew a little picture. Another email. Like, I don't know if they were trying to get me to learn to spell goggles. By the way, when I typed out the reminder for this, still can't spell goggles. Uh, Had to rely on the autocorrect. But I just remember, it's like when they picked me up, the first thing I thought was, why didn't you send my stupid <laughs> goggles? Why didn't you send them? You know, like like I spent two weeks at this camp swimming with this burning chemical. Oh my Your eyes are bloodshot two weeks yes, later. Yes, because oh you no. were teaching me some kind of lesson or maybe didn't care enough to read the letter. I don't know. Do you remember what they said? No, like, I mean, was it I that think they, they were just really la- te- teaching I mean, you a lesson? My father definitely made some kind of joke like, goggles oh i wish we would have known this before we interviewed your dad for slate plus because we would have asked him about it i know i'd like to hear his side of the story 
Oh, goodness. Zach, what about you? How have your parents <laughs> failed uh, honestly, you? 99% of the time, my parents were so exquisitely loving and amazing. The, the asterisk um, that I'll share today <laughs> is, uh, it, it's, uh, my, my dad had rage, like a lot of men of that generation, or like a lot of people, I guess, in general. Um, this was, I've been talking about baseball so much on this show. It's been, Noah and T-Ball has just brought up a lot of stuff for me. But I'm six years old, so this is when the coaches are pitching. I don't think the league keeps track of who wins or loses. There's like it, there, there's no stakes in terms of like no playoffs. There's no reason um, you might sense where this is going. There's no reason for someone to get really animated or excited about a certain call in a six-year-old's baseball game. Mm-hmm. My dad wasn't the coach at this time. He later became a coach, a wonderful coach. This never happened again after this time when I'm six years old. But he disagreed with a call from the umpire and gets into it with an umpire who in retrospect, is a 15-year-old kid. That's my dad, who's like 30 or whatever, yelling so much at this 15-year-old kid who, and the 15-year-old, by the way, is giving him attitude back. So it's like a manager and an umpire, like face-to-face, you know, with like no room in, like their noses touching. I don't think they got that close, but they got so close that my dad got kicked out of my baseball game. (laughs) Oh, no. He got thrown out. When you were like six. <laughs> it's, I'm standing on third base. I can feel myself there right now. I'm just watching this happen. Everyone else is watching it happen too. Everyone else is, is watching my dad go nuts. And this really didn't happen much. But it happened then. And I remember feeling so embarrassed. And my dad got thrown out and he asked me like in the middle of the game, like, Zach, do you want to come <laughs> home? And I was like, no, like I want to finish my goddamn game I wanted you to walk out and not acknowledge me (laughs) so that not everyone would know who you belong to exactly you should have looked over your shoulder Zach (laughs) Zach who are you talking to who are you talking to sir I don't know you um so yeah I was embarrassed he was um in full rage he later apologized but um I'll never forget it and honestly I can think of one other time in my childhood where he raged out like that maybe I'll tell that story another day because it's a funny one too but um yeah visceral (laughs) memory of that one but i love you dad i forgive you i mean you don't seem like much of a rager but does that inform your t-ball parenting are you just like i will i will never make that particular mistake (laughs) i think it informs so much of who i am in general i think i've so i've been so conscious of like not wanting to um be ragey and so much so that i've I'm like, before I met my wife, I, I considered myself a, and still a, a somewhat of a passive person because I was so conflict avoidant. Mm-hmm. I do trace it back to that. Um, I've surprised myself when I have gotten ragey the, a couple times with <laughs> Noah when she's testing me like, oh, yeah. whoa, I didn't know I had that in me, but like, I'm not above it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely aware of it. And I tried to never do it, um, but slip up on a, on a rare occasion. I mean, neither of my parents were raised, but I will say, like, my mother, who I believe, I mean, until I, you know, until we started really arguing when I was a teenager, I was like, that is somebody who never, like, raised her voice at anyone, never got overly upset. I'm like, I know people disrespected her. I know that, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) she's really Mm. even killed. Where was your mom on the rage meter, Elizabeth? 
you know, I grew up in a house of, of lawyers. Both my parents are lawyers. So everything was sort of like on trial. Like, pre- be prepared mm. to argue <laughs> your way and mm-hmm. have backup and evidence. And so it, she didn't rage. She just like, I don't want to say rained down justice, <laughs> but that's how it felt. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And she was the judge like, oh, yeah. and the prosecutor? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and the jury. And the... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll get into today's listener question. All right, let's get into today's question. It's being read, as always, by the wonderful Shasha Leonard. Hi, mom and dad. I'm the stepmom of a beautiful three and a half year old daughter. We have a great bond. Her dad and I have majority custody of her and her mom gets her every other weekend. And we have been co-sleeping since they came into my life. It works for our family. And after a hard divorce, it was what was best for her. The problem I am having with the situation is that she is constantly grabbing for my breasts. Her little hands find their way up my shirt at night. In public, she tries to stick her hand down my shirt. In the summer, when sleeping in a tank top, I've woken up from a dead sleep to her trying to latch. I recently found out her mom had still been breastfeeding her the nights that she had her. I know this is not my daughter's fault, and I've tried to explain that this is something her and her mommy do, but she doesn't seem to get it. I know she's just looking for comfort as she gets plenty of nutrition at this point, and I think she's just trying to bond. I've been dealing with it for a while, but now I have to draw the line. My partner and I recently found out that we are expecting, and I have entered the realm of the horrible first trimester boob pain. Her little hands that were never welcome are even less welcome now, and I'm struggling to picture what this is going to be like when I'm breastfeeding the new baby, and she still has a hard time understanding that while I am her mom, I can't do these mom things with her. Any advice is welcome. Your show has been invaluable through these transitions. All the best. I want my boobs back. Temporarily. I had this happen with Teddy. I actually almost asked Jamila you and Dan during like what the heck am I supposed to do about this except that then finally what I was doing worked and it stopped it probably stopped a a year ago so around four but to clarify he wasn't doing it to another no no to me to me no yes the only difference is yes that it was it was still happening I mean when it first started he would reach for other breasts as well Uh like Mm -hmm. it was just it's something that has always been a a comfort Um, to him. But what I found that worked is to remember that you're absolutely right. She's looking for comfort. And so often they associate the, you know, the breast with self-soothing. And so I I think that the thing is to put down a, a hard but gentle rule that any kind of touching is inappropriate and just removing the hands for us. It was a transitional object. I found, um, actually my friend Bethany found the sea otter like blanket, but the head is round and squishy. And then the little blanket comes off the side. So it has kind of a similar feeling to a breast. And I would literally carry it around and I would, you know, say like, nope, we don't, we don't touch mommy's breasts. And then we, I would put his hand on the transition object. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would say things like, I think what you actually need is a hug or, you know, as I'm removing the hand, do you need some time with mom? Some Mm -hmm. one-on-one time with mom for the sleeping? Cause we also had something like this happen. I just had to wear like a long sleeve shirt until it just stopped. Like basically Mm. cutting off (laughs) 
any access. any access. Um, and it mm-hmm. did, like I said, it just became less and less of a behavior, and then it just stopped. And I would say every once in a while now, particularly like if I'm changing in front of him, he will still try, you know, like, oh, there they are. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I have to just say, like, remember, like, we, this is, like, mommy's body and your body, right? And you don't need to be touching mommy's breasts. And and it just took a long time. So I, I feel like what you have to do is just every time being, like, firm. If you're holding her and it happens, you might have to put her down. In bed, you may have to put, like, a pillow or something between you. But I would just make it really um, difficult and try to replace it with something else that that's comforting. I think it's important to make the mommy stepmommy distinction. You know, like there is a line. There are things that are mommy things um, that are not stepmommy things. And breastfeeding is typically a mommy thing exclusively. You know, you would have some pretty complicated and unlikely circumstances, right? In which a family is so progressive that we're just going to share breastfeeding. And oh, since you're nursing, you can breastfeed my child. That's not really a thing in most families. So essentially, I I think it's fair to say that for your family, at the very least, breastfeeding is a mommy thing, not a stepmommy thing. And so focusing on like identifying what can meet like her comfort needs at that point because what she's reaching for is comfort and it also could be missing her mother you know um that's certainly part of it you know that's a particular thing that she'd been able to do at night with her mother to go to sleep so the fact that she can't do it with you can create you know a feeling of missing her mommy that might not have been there before despite how happy and comfortable and loved she feels with you and your partner um but you know Give her that talk, you know, about the difference between mommy and and stepmommy and, you know, that your love for her is tremendous, but, you know, that there are just certain things that are just between a mother and daughter, you know, and that's okay. Um, But that you are there to give her as much love and affection as she needs. And, you know, if, if she's craving, you know, something she can, you know, she can get it from you. She just can't get the breast from you. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's something else the two of you can do, you know, that that's like, that's a mommy thing. This is a stepmommy thing. Because I, Jamila, I do think that's you're right sweet. that like, she needs to make some kind of distinguish between this, especially as a new baby enters the picture, mm-hmm. um, to make sure that the child feels you know like i still love you tremendously and it what it's not an issue of i don't love you it's an issue of (laughs) in this family the rule is that your milk comes from your mom and i'm your stepmom yeah 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 like you can it it would be very sweet to come up with your thing like let's do something that's just for me and you yeah whether it's i mean your boobs are hurting right now so you know maybe it's like instead of snuggling if you're not if you don't want that right now like there's this like very specific like butterfly kiss that we'll invent or some like cool hugging handshake something that's just for you um which can substitute hopefully but three and a half um you know this girl's getting to the age where she'll be able to start to understand you know these boundaries and these delineations i think Mm -hmm. i think you should start thinking about what this looks like when the baby arrives as opposed Mm -hmm. to waiting until you're overwhelmed by your newborns you know need for you you don't want it to become a situation and i you know can attest to naima having these feelings that you know the three of you are a complete set and you don't really need me Mm. and um 
because the three of you are a perfect family together, right? You're the same parents, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, no matter how loved she is and no matter the fact that she's older, you know, it may cause her to question, you know, where she fits in. In particular, if, like, say, for example, the bedtime ritual becomes 100% your partner, you know, if your partner takes over the bedtime ritual and you're consumed with the baby, that could certainly, you know, s- create some feelings for her that will be difficult to um, contend with later. So I think, you know, making sure that at night, like your husband takes turns with you rocking the baby to sleep because you need to also be a part of your stepdaughter's bedtime ritual too. And maybe he reads the book because that takes longer, but you know, that you're still a part of her going to bed and waking up in the morning that she still, you know, has you integrated into her time at her dad's house. This is, Jamila is such a good point. And also with the co-sleeping, if you think you're going to end the co-sleeping because now you're going to co-sleep with the baby, um, or if you're going to continue and that's going to obviously lead to a change of how everyone sleeps in the bed to keep everyone um, safe, you need to think about that and start instituting that now um, because changes that come right around baby get associated with baby. So if you can make those changes now instead of, a few days before you go to the hospital or when the baby comes back and start talking about those changes, but also new privileges they're going to get, you know, the older child's going to get and new things they're going to get to do with mommy and daddy. So it's, it's not such a traumatic, like this small thing comes home. Um, And Jamila, you're so right. Like you also have the potential for this to feel so much more alienating um, just because of your dynamics and being a stepmom. So I think really carefully thinking about that, um, in, in terms of all of this. And, and I would assume that actually the desire for your breasts may grow because it's going to seem like that's like something that the baby has. Um, and it was something that may, that she had, you know, felt like she had or had access to. So just kind of be, I think it's about being aware and being compassionate to what this child is going through as you're making these changes that she has no control over, right? Like, um, the world is chaotic to to little kids, and so trying to prepare them for those things um, um, and explain as best you can to, to their little ears, like, why this stuff is happening and how much they are loved and part of this family and important. Well, I want my boobs back. <laughs> Hopefully, some of these ideas help. We'd love to know how it goes. Everyone else... Have you had a sticky situation and aren't sure who to ask? We are here for you. Let us know by emailing us at momanddad at slate.com or send us a voice memo and we may play it on the show. That's also where you can send any other questions you have. And that's it for our show. Monday, we will be off for Juneteenth, but we will be back in your feeds next Thursday. While you're at it, please subscribe to the show and give us a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. This episode of Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Christy Taiwo Macanjula and Jasmine Ellis. For Jamila Lemieux and Elizabeth Newcamp, I'm Zach Rosen. Thanks for listening. Happy Father's Day. Let's keep going, Slate Plus listeners. Father's Day is coming up. I've only, with, with young kids at home, I've only experienced a few Father's Day, but our next guest has experienced many. This is a veteran parent who knows a lot about one of our co-hosts, because he is her father. Michael Jablonski is the father of Elizabeth Newcamp. And today he is here to give us like some 
DVD extras, some some details that Elizabeth might not disclose herself about growing up. We're hoping to get some some intel from you, Michael. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, and Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Thank you for the uh, Father's Day, and thank you for having me. Elizabeth is such a high functioning mommy she's so hands-on you know in terms of you know having done homeschooling and creating all these great activities and games and just keeping her kids constantly engaged and traveling is this the is this the same person that she's been her whole life essentially like was she always really organized and really creative yes (laughs) (laughs) no i mean she that's the way she was and always has been. Elizabeth always had something going on and uh, was very talkative about uh, what she was doing. And she was, in fact, an organizer. It took her you know, several years to learn how to do that. But she was a leader and an, and an organizer. How would you describe like a big difference in between the way you raised Elizabeth and what you're noticing about the way she's raising her kids? What's funny is the way Elizabeth is raising her kids is more the way my mother raised her Mm. kids. Very empowering, um, appreciates humor, uh, imposes rules and enforces them, but also gives a lot of leeway. Our parenting style, I think, was somewhat similar, but, you know, both Elizabeth's mother and I are lawyers. So I think we relied on rules a lot more than uh, uh, we would have otherwise. How do you balance parenting Elizabeth while respecting the fact that she's a parent herself now? I know my own uh, mother in particular sometimes has to manage, you know, her urges as it relates to just interacting with me like a little person, you know, like her child. And I'll always be her little person. Yep. She's my baby. Obviously, I would like to be involved more and more. Um, And equally, obviously, that's the wrong thing to do. You know, parenting is always assessing balances and that never ends. So, you know, now that Elizabeth has her own children, I don't interfere. In fact, I haven't had a time where I wanted to interfere, but we just have discussions about uh, about different things and philosophies, um, mostly just how to keep the household going. My wife's grandmother, who I've never met, but I, I, I hear her her truisms and invocations all the time from her daughter my wife's grandmother used to say your children are the principal and the grandkids are the interest oh i thoroughly agree with that i mean there's nothing i would rather do than uh, play with uh, these boys i mean they're very creative uh they're very self-assertive and uh, it's just, it's unbelievable the, the uh, vocabulary they can use. And it's clean. <laughs> How do your grandchildren remind you of Elizabeth? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, each of them uh, reminds me of Elizabeth in a different way. It's like they've taken a little bit uh, different parts of uh, her personality. Uh, Henry, for example, uh, the 10-year-old, uh, has taken from Elizabeth 
uh, the love of nature and the love of reading and the love of uh, of writing. He can be, he's a lot of fun, but he can be very serious and asks great questions. Uh, the so-called middle little, we joke that Oliver and I are special buddies because we both have uh, white hair and we both have uh, light eyes. His are blue and mine are hazel. So we're special buddies. And what he got from Elizabeth was basically um, a freedom to uh, engage in his creativity. So a lot of times we, we are talking about our friends in the spirit world mm. that the uh, other members of the family cannot see. And it gets very uh, complex. It's very interesting. And then the baby, what Teddy got from Elizabeth is the energy. And uh, Teddy is a performer. Uh, Teddy loves to perform, and I, I don't want to say he acts out, but he really loves to tell a story, for example. The other night, he explained baseball to us uh, for about 45 minutes, and I wish I had recorded hmm. it. It was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, so nice to meet you. Thanks for this. It's really great to see you guys. It's just fascinating because listening to the podcast, I, I create a vision in my head <laughs> of what you all look like. So now I have a vision that I will uh, uh, cherish Aww. for each of you. You know I'm bald now, Michael. <laughs> 